Hi, I'm Roy Walkenhorst. And I'm Judy Brooks, and welcome back to Healing Quest, your healthy lifestyle show. You know, our focus is holistic wellness, and that includes things like energy medicine and integrative health, of course, and the latest in the natural options that are available to help all of us achieve optimum well-being. One of our favorite parts of Healing Quest uh, is our conversations with Kieran Krishnan. Kieran is the Chief Science Officer of Just Thrive Health, and we talk about the latest scientific developments involving our gut microbiome and also how important that part of our body is to actually our overall well-being. For these conversations, Kieran joins us via Zoom from his home base in Chicago. Hi, Kieran. Hi, Kieran. Hi, Judy. Hi, Roy. Great to be with you. It's always good to be connected with you. Well, today we'd like to begin our chat with you in a slightly different way. This week, a listener emailed us a question that led me on a quest, uh, so to speak, and a little trip back in time. The listener said he'd been in his local health food store and seen a refrigerator with probiotics in it. His question was, why is that there? And are those better than the probiotics sitting on the shelf at room temperature? So, you know, I've been in more than a few health food stores over the years, and I've seen those refrigerators. And I have to confess that I didn't have the answer to that question. Uh, Judy didn't have the answer to that question either, but she did remember talking about it with you a while ago. And in fact, she was right. I checked our program logs, and on August 28th, 2018, we asked you about refrigerated probiotics, and here's what you said. When I first started looking at probiotics, I would go to the health food store and I'd ask the clerks always, what are your best probiotics? And they would always point me to the refrigerator. But, you know, I'm not a a regular consumer. I'm an annoying microbiologist. So I'd always (laughs) question them. And I would say, well, why are they in the refrigerator? They would say, well, they have to be live cultures in order to be effective. So we have to keep them refrigerated so they stay alive. And then they would say, make sure when you buy them, you get them home quickly and put them in your refrigerator. So and then I would say, okay, so they sit on the shelf, um, they would die. Um, That's why you have to keep them cold. And they say, yes, if they sit on the shelf, they would die. And I say, well, they can't sit at 70 degrees. What about 98.6 degrees in the body and a pH of one? How are they going to survive that? You know, and they never had any answer. So, no, if the bacteria needs to be refrigerated in order to survive and can't sit at room temperature, it will not function at 98.6 degrees in the body. Uh, That was an excellent answer as usual, but we got to wondering if the answer is any different now, two years later. And as a result of that, what's been learned about probiotics? Yeah, so number one, um, you know, I think I sounded quite smart a couple years ago. And and hopefully I haven't declined since then. That's the... That'll be the big question in this in this interview. Is, well, we're going to measure that here. <laughs> exactly. Yes, that'll be the judgment passed. Um, so no, nothing has really changed about that. You know, it still baffles me that we continue to have these refrigerators full of of encapsulated probiotics. It still baffles me that uh, the retailers and and probiotic companies uh, as a whole still push those as the hot quote unquote high quality probiotics. And that rationale still holds true. If it cannot survive at 70 degrees at room temperature, it will do nothing. It will not survive at 98.6 degrees in your body, going through what we call a a bacterial gauntlet, trying to make it pass your stomach acid, your bile salts, your pancreatic enzymes, and so on, right? So these are are simply not designed to, to be functional strains in the human system. And why is that? Well, because, you know, many of the probiotic cultures 
that were eventually isolated, encapsulated, and sold as probiotic supplements come from dairy fermentation, right? Many of them come from yogurt culturing and kefir culturing and so on. And those bacteria may be perfectly fine at culturing dairy and creating a yogurt or creating a kefir, but they're not bacteria that are naturally designed to be probiotics to survive and thrive within, a, within the harsh environment inside the body. And so what manufacturers started to do is they said, okay, if we took these bacteria from yogurt cultures and kefir cultures and we encapsulate them and put them in a bottle, sitting at room temperature, they die very quickly and they're no longer alive. And one of the important definitions of a probiotic is it has to be a live microorganism. So they tried to overcome that hurdle by refrigerating them just as you would refrigerate a, a yogurt or a kefir culture. You know, but it's nonsensical. These are not probiotic bacteria by the scientific definition, and they make no sense going through all of the trouble of keeping them cold while shipping, keeping them cold during storage, keeping them cold at your home, when the moment you take them into your body, they get killed off. Wow, so, so it, it, it... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it appears like that whole refrigeration thing is a marketing myth in, instead of a scientific fact. And, and that in turn, you know, that in turn led us to come up with a number of questions where we thought it would be good to get an updated answer. Now, for example, we hear a lot now about the superiority of spore-based probiotics. Now, how recent is that knowledge and, and, and what is it based on? Yeah, so it depends on the market you're talking about. If you look at the, at the pharmaceutical market or the medical market, um, that understanding was established back in 1952. You know, the, wow. the first, yeah, the first prescription probiotics on the market were spore-based probiotics back in the 1950s. And those products are still out there today. You know, they're still being used by hospitals and doctors and clinics and places like Europe and Latin America and Southeast Asia, and even in places like Russia. Um, so in, in, the, in the heavy science community, the, the, the um, you know, pharmaceutical research community, that's been known for a really long time. In fact, Bacillus subtilis, one of the main uh, spore-forming probiotic bacteria, is considered to be one of the most well-studied and well-understood bacteria on Earth. That and E. coli, from a microbiologist standpoint, are the most well-studied bacteria. You know, as I was going through my microbiology training, we worked with bacillus all the time because it's so well-known and well-studied. So there's nothing new about it from, from the scientific world or from the medical world or the pharmaceutical world. What's new about it is in the nutritional world, you know, and, and the nutritional world has taken a little bit longer to, uh, to understand and adapt the, the difference because the nutritional world bought into the refrigeration, the multi-strain, uh, the 100 billion, 200 billion CFU kind of narrative um, a couple of decades ago. So it's been taking a little bit of time to change it, but, but it's, we're realizing it now. Uh, if you look at the probiotics that we work with in the, in the healthcare practitioner market, um, the spore-based probiotics are now becoming the number one selling ba uh, probiotic bacteria in the health practitioner market. So these are medical professionals who use and, and uh, utilize probiotics for therapeutic value. They are now using at a much larger proportion the spore-based probiotics than they are the conventional 
um, ideas around probiotics. And, and the reason it's grown so fast in the health practitioner market is because they get to see the effects pretty quickly within their patients, you know, and, and then they talk to their peers and they, they discuss this at conferences and, and it's grown quite quickly. So I think uh, it's going to be a, a growing segment within the probiotic space. That must be really frustrating for you. <laughs> when you know the facts and, you know, the science is there and yet I'm, I'm the, the probiotics uh, that are available. I mean, there's so many of them. It just makes it so hard. And then when you hear people say, well, spore based, say something negative about the spore based. It's yeah. like, that's why we wanted to talk to you today because, you know, if this one listener was confused, I'm sure a lot of people are. They are. And, you know, I, I feel these kind of questions all the time. And one of the unfortunate things about our industry, and there's lots of amazing things about our industry, but one of the unfortunate things about the industry is that, you know, more often than not, companies aren't competing on a, uh, util, utilizing a scientific methodology. You know, they compete based on stories and they compete based on stoking fears and they compete based on just uh, making up, um, you know, things that are just not factual, right? So, uh, for example, just how probiotics have been formulated over the last several decades. You know, one company will tell you that this is the highest potency probiotic on the market. Well, what is their definition of high potency? It's because they have 50 billion compared to their their competitor that has 40 billion. Well, what, as it turns out, if you look at the science, there's no um, evidence that 50 billion is any better than 40 billion, you know, by, by, any, by any means. So it, it's just a, a, a wordsmithing. And, and by that same rationale, when companies start to feel competitive pressure from, um, you know, concepts like the spore probiotics that are finally coming to the nutri nutritional world from the medical industry, um, their first response is not to go after it from a science to science basis. The first response is just to make things up and stoke fear, you know, and so that, that is unfortunate. Well, some of the common things I hear that I have to combat are spore-based probiotics are not natural inhabitants of the gut. Well, that's completely untrue. If anyone says that, then they haven't done any background research work at all because there are a number of published papers uh, you know, over the last 15 years that show that spore-based bacteria are perfectly normal and important part of your commensal bacterial flora in your gut, right? I hear things like spore-based probiotics take over the microbiome when they go in. Well, that couldn't be farther from the truth, right? We've been consuming spore-based probiotics inadvertently from the environment for millions of years, and they're a normal part of the commensal flora. And in fact, we have published studies to show that to not be true. We've published studies to show that when you add spore-based probiotics within your gut microbiome, it actually enhances the growth of your other endogenous species. So there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of conflation going on. And, you know, and that's why we're here. We're always here to clear, clarify those things and give people the best uh, approach to their health and wellness journey. Well, you know, while we're on the, on the topic of, of what, some of these myths, you know, it, I've heard it said that an, an enteric coating improves a probiotic. Is that so? 
You know, no, we tested that actually about six or seven years ago. We tested enteric-coated uh, probiotic products and non-enteric-coated. And of course, most of the non-enteric-coated did not survive. They're dying in the stomach. Uh, but even the enteric-coated ones, the enteric-coating are, are just not strong enough to withstand the stomach acid. So most of those are getting degraded in the stomach acid and those microbes are dying. Now, in some cases, if they do survive past the stomach acid, which is what the purpose of the enteric coating is, and they get into the small intestine, they get killed off by bile salts because bile salts <laughs> are really, <laughs> they're really potent antimicrobials, right? So they forgot about that gauntlet. So then the question is, well, all right, you're, you're trying to be really smart and say, all right, my bacteria cannot survive naturally through the gastric system, so I'm going to enteric coat it. Well, what happens once it gets past the stomach? They're not thinking that far. You know, so again, it, to me, if a microbe is not designed to be a probiotic by nature, it doesn't have a natural resistance and capability of surviving through the gastric system and the small intestine as well, um, then does it make sense for us to try to add all this technology to try to make it survive when nature doesn't intend it to? Again, that sounds like a myth that we just busted. So, yeah. you know, uh, we've also heard it said that probiotics should be taken on an empty stomach. Now, is that true or false? And, and that's another one of those things that have just been developed as a way of trying to combat the big problem of the vast majority of probiotics not surviving through the stomach acid. The idea was you take it on an empty stomach because the, the acid secretion on an empty stomach is lower than when you have food, right? One of the first things that occurs when you start eating food is the process of chewing triggers stomach acid release. And so what they're trying to do is circumvent the stomach acid and make you take it in between meals to provide those bacteria with a slightly higher chance of survival. But as we've tested, it doesn't help either. So it's just another one of those, um, you know, really, uh, what, what I would call a failed attempt at biohacking to try to make something work that doesn't naturally have the capability of working. Well, thank you so much for clarifying that for our listener and for us and, and, and helping us bust some of these marketing myths, basically. Absolutely. So you know, and, and at the end of the day, why this is so important is because probiotics really can have a profound impact on people's health. Right, probiotics can be a really important part of what people do every single day to improve their outcomes and improve their wellness. And, and the unfortunate thing is that such a large proportion of the probiotics out there really don't make any sense and don't do much of anything. And so people are spending their hard-earned money, they're bought into the idea that probiotics can be beneficial, and unfortunately, they're going out and buying things that aren't really going to do anything for them. Thank you, Kieran. We've been speaking with microbiologist Kieran Krishnan, Chief Science Officer for Just Thrive Probiotics, about the state of the probiotic world these days, what's true and what's not. You can find out more about this topic at justthrivehealth.com. That's justthrivehealth.com. Up next, we have some fun gift ideas for you that can also keep you safe. And don't forget, podcasts of this and all of the Healing Quest shows are available on our website at healingquest.tv actually have a, a, a brand new website, so you might want to check it out. And please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Healing Quest. I'm Judy Brooks. And I'm Roy Walkenhorst. You're listening to Healing Quest on iHeartRadio. Healing Quest is brought to you by Clearlight Infrared. 
makers of jacuzzi saunas whose infrared heating technology penetrates deep to boost the immune system, increase blood flow, reduce stress, and detox naturally. You can learn more about jacuzzi saunas at infraredsaunas.com. That's infraredsaunas.com. And use the promo code HEALINGQUEST. Or you can call Clearlight at 1-800-798-1779. That's 1-800-798-1779. 